This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Malaysia's Prime Minister and Finance Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim retabled Budget 2023 last Friday on the 24th of February after the first tabling in October 2022 by the previous Ismail Sabri administration was thrown out due to Parliament being dissolved. So with a new unity government at the helm, there are significant changes to what was initially tabled and the newly consolidated Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change Ministry received about 6.53 billion billion ringgit in allocations, said to be an increase of 8.4% from last year. So is this a sign of the government's commitment to combat environmental issues and climate change in the country? We're going to break down what was mentioned for the environment in Budget 2023 with Meenakshi Raman, the president of Sahabat Alam Malaysia. Welcome, Mina. How are you today? I'm good, uh, Juliet. Thank you so much, Mina, for joining me and for always helping us to break down all these complicated things. So, um, yeah, you know, this was, I think, uh, the first time since 2000 that a budget has to be retabled. But unlike what happened back in 2000, you know, it's a very much changed one, right, under this whole new government and this new prime minister. And uh, it was interesting for me, you know, in the opening of his speech, that Sri Anwar spoke about, you know, the Malaysia Madani uh, development framework. And he mentioned how the budget will have 12 main thrusts and based on three pillars uh, and very promising sounding pillars. So the first one being inclusive and sustainable economic growth. The second, institutional reforms and good governance to restore confidence. And thirdly, social justice to bridge inequality. I mean, some initial thoughts, Mina, you know, on that opening alone from his speech. Yeah, I think the social justice and um, reducing inequality, I think that was quite, for me, a big highlight. Because I've not heard these terms used before. I mean, we've heard about poverty eradication and all that. But the the emphasis on social justice, I think that's really critical. Many of us in um, civil society um, have been using these terms, not just using the term, but have been actually calling for much more orientation towards the poor and, um, you know, the development initiatives um, actually grounded in, uh, even in terms of environmental aspects, like improving the livelihoods, um, which are connected to grassroots, indigenous peoples, fishermen, paddy farmers, um, you know, local communities who depend on the ecosystems for their sustainable livelihoods. Yeah. So some of these, I mean, when we heard these things about, you know, we'd like to see more of this type where social justice and reducing inequality, um, you know, it, it are really the thrust of the I mean, he didn't say the thrust. It's one of the pillars is what he said. Yeah. But I think it should be increasingly the feature of the direction of travel. So that, that I think, is very good. And, of course, the institutional reforms and mm. um, better governance, that, that I think is really most welcome, particularly, um, you know, all this uh, corruption and the leakages that uh, the nation has been facing over the years. So that is actually quite important as a pillar. And the other, of course, when he talks about inclusive economic uh, development. Now here, um, you know, we would have liked to see, I mean, these are these are terms, but how exactly do you translate them in real terms? For instance, the um, inclusive, yes, we understand. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about economic development, now whose interest uh, is being uh, furthered? Correct. So if it is combined with the social justice pillar, 
then if the interest of the bottom the b40 and that there was a lot of stress there and that um, and and that is the thrust together of course with assisting the the middle income groups as well i think the the um, the theme and the thrust appear to be actually quite encouraging Okay. Yeah. I mean, as you said, you know, all those pillars that he mentioned, I mean, everything that, you know, uh, organizations like Third World Network and Sahaba Ala Malaysia have been, and, and, you know, so many other CSOs have been advocating for. So it was, it was nice to hear that at the very start of the budget. Um, but now let's kind of break down, you know, some of the things that were brought up with regard to the environment. So as I mentioned in the intro, you know, six point, over 6.53 billion in allocations for the Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change Ministry. Uh, it's said to be an increase of 8.4%. And uh, Minister Nick Nazmi Nick Ahmad said, the ministry received 1.6 billion ring 1.67 billion ringgit in operating allocation while another 4.87 billion was given for development uh, and he also broke that down a little bit more and this is something that we were seeing in some articles that 39.3 million uh, under the opex uh, under the opex budget has been put aside for biodiversity protection and patrolling and uh, 50 million ringgit for community ranges ac- across the country uh, with priority given to to Orang Asli, veterans and the police. Some thoughts on that, Mina? I think this is good. I think at the end of the day, if we want to halt biodiversity destruction, the frontline um, you know, communities are the Orang Asli because they are the ones that are in the remotest of the areas, which is always very difficult to access. And so the focus on community rangers um, and increasing the allocation for veterans and the police. I think really this is a good step forward and we would really like to see um, improvements in terms of of stemming, you know, um, poaching and smuggling, especially of wildlife and stealing of biodiversity and so on. But of course, we would also like to see improvements in um, um, new technologies, for instance, the use of drones, the use of other equipment which will be able to actually catch the culprits. Because what we also understand, particularly in terms of the wildlife poaching that goes on, that you have these poachers and criminals actually having super duper technologies and we should actually be able to match that as well. So while there are community rangers and 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 then policing on the ground, we would also would have liked to, would like to also see the improvement of, um, of this technologies so that we actually do catch them, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and just also kind of looking at some of the other um, allocations from the budget, right? So this was a quite a big one. EFTs, right? So the budget has focused on increasing ecological fiscal transfers or EFTs for environmental conservation and um, the ecological fiscal transfer for biodiversity conservation to state governments has been increased to 150 million ringgit from last year's 70 million ringgit. That's quite a significant jump, I would say. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I would agree with you that this is actually quite a significant increase compared to the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a 45% increase, so which is which is actually welcome. But still, Juliet, it, it's, it's really not enough. Yeah. Because if you're talking about several states and the um, Minister of Natural Resources was actually talking about Pahang, Kedah, Trunganu, Kelantan, you know, um, these states, which are actually the forest-rich country, uh, states. So you would see that 150 million is actually not enough. Yeah. But I think um, it's a good start. It's better than before. 
but uh, we would like to see much more in terms of um, using of other budget lines as well. For instance, there is an allocation of um, $1 billion under disaster preparedness. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what we are concerned about is that this should not just be about infrastructure solutions. So quite apart from the ecological fiscal transfer, uh, you know, a budget line, this is also a very important budget line so that we also look at forests as, um, you know, solutions, not just the cementing and the hardware or solutions, but really the forest conservation, hill slope and highland protection, that these are all important efforts at flood mitigation. And so that's also important. So how you see the budget line is also important. But then we also do recognize that they are allocated to different ministries. So of course it would not this 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 one billion would not be within the purview of the Minister of Natural Resources. But what we would like to see is a lot more integration of the environment and climate change agenda or the sustainability agenda across all the various pillars. And so I think that's really critical. And maybe just to also stress the point that, you know, one of the biggest allocations is actually um, in the education ministry. Mm. Now, while it's very important to improve our schools and particularly the dilapidated schools, rural um, schools and improving the facilities and so on. I think also critical, but but um, perhaps, you know, th this was not mentioned, but perhaps this is something that we would have been, many of us in the civil society community have been stressing that the school curriculum must emphasize, you know, environmental education, climate change awareness, even urban farming, you know. Mm. I mean, we're talking about cost of living and reducing expense, expenses and cost of living, getting our young people into um, organic and, and urban gardening and all that, something that the Consumers Association of Penang and Savadalam Malaysia have been doing, you know, agroecology yeah. within the schools um, and also with outside in terms of the extracurricular and also the curriculum itself. So there should be more effort at integrating using some of the budget allocations in the other ministries for environmental and climate change uh, efforts. So I just wanted to stress that rather than just as seeing these um, and you know the sustainability sustainability agenda in terms of um, the Ministry of Natural Resources alone, but what we ought to see is more synergy, more integration, more efforts in the other line ministries as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something we've always been saying, right? I mean, it shouldn't just be uh, the focus of the NRECC or whatever sort of iter iteration it is, right, of the Environment Ministry. Uh, environmental uh, sustainability needs to be looked at at every single ministry, pre pretty much every single ministry that there is, right? Absolutely. And particularly when we talk about, you know, inclusive economic development, the mm -hmm. point that we made earlier. I mean, you know, what do you mean by inclusive economic development? Uh, in the past, you know, we recall if states are going to be promoting loads of reclamation projects and destroying the biodiversity, what you're then doing is undermining um, the fishery resource yeah. and the sensitive ecosystems. And then what you are actually doing is the livelihoods, the economic, um, you know, interests yeah. of the bottom 50. And in the if your social justice is what you um, are about, then you ought to be prioritizing the resource base, the natural resource base and ecosystems of the poor, um, rather than the developers and their agendas. 
So I think it's how we look at economic development is the point that I'm stressing. Okay, all right. And one one figure I forgot to mention just now, um, the thirty eight million for the protection of wildlife, right? That's also uh, coming under the uh, the ETF, um, and that is for you know protection of our wildlife, of course, tigers, elephants, other wild species. I'm sure a very much welcomed uh, figure as well, Mina. But perhaps more needed. Yes, 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 definitely. I think the these are uh, species. You know, the tiger, for instance, is very endangered, and we have several endangered species. Absolutely critical. Uh, for their sustainability, um, because we are also talking about the inclusive, which means the future generations. And so this is absolutely vital. And, um, you know, as we know that the least recently, the biodiversity conference ended in uh, Montreal, and there was a big push for actually um, um, having better and increased enhanced protection of biodiversity in all its forms. So this is actually critical as well. Um, but I'm not so sure to what extent 38 million is sufficient for that. But I, I think that um, for this year, at least this is for this year, and we'd like to see much more increase next year. And that's the hope, of course. Okay. Um, let's just go for a quick break, Mina. When we come back, you know, let's go through some of the other uh, allocations from Budget 2023, which will impact sustainable development and the environment. I'm speaking today to Minakshi Raman. She's the president of Sahaba Ala Malaysia. As I mentioned, we're breaking down Budget 2023, seeing whether there was meaningful allocations for the environment under this new government. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 special, brought to you by Marsing. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Marsing. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Jilid Jacobs. With me today, Minakshi Raman, the president of Sahabat Ala Malaysia. She's helping to break down uh, Budget 2023 and the different allocations uh, for the environment and for our natural resources. So before the break, we were talking about uh, the increase in allocation for the NRECC uh, up to 6.53, over 6.53 billion ringgit in allocations. We spoke about the increase for uh, EFTs. Um, Now, Mina, if we can just talk a little bit about um, some of the allocations from Bank Nagara that were uh, going to come from Bank Nagara, they're going to provide two billion ringgit in funding for sustainable technology startups to help SMEs, uh, you know, implement low carbon practices. So this was part of the government's measure to encourage green pack practices among local businesses. And Kazana will provide about 150 million ringgit to boost environmentally friendly projects, including supporting the carbon market and reforestation. Uh, additionally, also green technology financing scheme, the GTFS, will be improved by increasing the guarantee value to 3 billion ringgit until 2025. Um, Any thoughts on this one, Mina? Yeah, I think these are all very good initiatives to actually incentivize the move towards a low carbon economy. Mm -hmm. And I think the um, support for SMEs in particular um, is really an important one. Because um, I think what we already realize is that many of the Uh, small, medium enterprises um, are particularly challenged in terms of being going low carbon because, uh, you know, the big multinationals with all their ESG agenda, you know, the environmental, social and governance, and they can afford much of the um, shifting towards the low carbon uh, path. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think what's critical is actually to orientate our 
small and medium enterprises to do this. But I think that the um, support for this is actually not only the financial support, I think that also needs to be efforts to to increase uh, capacity building mm -hmm. because a lot of it has to do with knowledge and practices and how do you internalize it and so forth. So it should be, is financing alone is insufficient, capacity building and um, um, the kind of technologies that need to be in place are also vital. So that's good. Now on the um, Kazana's, um, the 150 million yeah. to the Kazana National Impact Fund for development, um, environmentally friendly projects. Um, we read here that it is it, it includes the restoration of degraded forests. I suppose this is money which will go out to groups. I'm not sure whether it's civil society or who, but probably this is how it Kazana National um, will outreach um, through their various initiatives. Mm -hmm. But um, there was a reference to supporting initiatives to support carbon markets. Yeah. I found that rather strange because, um, you know, the carbon markets has been uh, hugely controversial. We have spoken about this before. Yeah. I mean, the idea of forests and biodiversity protection should not just be seen as a, you know, a carbon market, uh, you know, product. Um, you know, the carbon credits and so on, you know, because what this entails is actually trading um, and exchange. And uh, a lot of it, you know, at the moment is linked to the net zero claims of companies and so on. Mm -hmm. So a company wants to set up a target of net zero. And so it uses, it it, it finances uh, protection of um, forests, for instance, or um, gives money for rehabilitation and, and, and replanting of trees and so on. And then it uses the credits which are generated to count to its emissions. So what we are actually saying is that, you know, this kind of offsetting um, actually doesn't, is not um, a sustainable solution because there's no more room for offsets. You have to decarbonize, you have to sequester carbon. So it's not about offsetting. It's not about one ton of carbon being offset by the sequestering of another ton of of, of uh, carbon. So, but if it's to increase the carbon sinks, certainly. But it's not just a carbon sink. Forests are also have to be viewed from a biodiversity lens as well. But the multiple ecosystem services that they provide. So that that's one comment we wanted to make. The other, of course, is that we want to see a lot more emphasis on building climate resilience. Now, this is something we missed in the. Um, budget or the statement, um, but we hope that in the actually actual implementation of the program, we actually uh, focus on increasing the climate resilience of our country, in, whether it's in infrastructure, whether it's in the cities, whether it's in the towns and in and, and the rural areas. So it's about actually, um, you know, making us less disaster prone, or even if there is a disaster, we are better able to cope for instance, just to give you a little story, hmm. we uh, Sabarala, Malaysia, we just had a um, a meeting with our staff from Sarawak. We have an office in Sarawak. And what they were reporting to us is that increasingly they are saying they're seeing floods, um, very often floods in the little towns of Marudi and uh, in the Baram area being afflicted by floods more than they have ever seen before. Mm -hmm. Now, much of this, we believe, is the impact of forest conversions and logging and all the, over the years. 
the history of the conversions of our forests, which has now led to um, erosion, serious erosion, clogging up of the rivers, and the waters flowing downstream and affecting our cities. So you can see how this in the, the degradation of the ecosystem from the upper reaches to the down to the towns and the floods are actually the symptom of the that larger disease through that degradation. So coming back to these kinds of allocations, we have to actually begin to pay attention to increasing our resilience to these kinds of disasters. And that can only um, come through our protection of the forest and the ecosystems. And also not just about carbon markets and carbon sink, but our, our you know, for maintaining the ecosystem and the, the resilience actually means much more protection um, of, this, of this kind. So we definitely need to have disaster preparedness, but the disaster preparedness has to also ensure that the poor don't bear the burden so we noticed that this is also the emphasis of the current um, uh, you know, Anwar administration. So I think the prevention is also much more important than just the cure. So this is the point we'd like to make. So um, climate adaptation, we didn't see any reference to adaptation, mm. climate resilience, climate adaptation, addressing loss and damage. All these are lingos which are used internationally in the climate negotiations. Yeah. So we need to internalize this and do much more, much more. Point I'm making is adaptation is very key in this country. Reducing our vulnerability to disasters, absolutely key, but uh, we're not doing enough in that direction. Okay. And you know, on that point on, um, you know, the disasters, right? I mean, that, of course, will come to impact our food security, right? And um, that's something that uh, our Prime Minister said that Budget 2023 was going to focus on. I mean, what do you think about, uh, did he do enough to address, you know, improving the plight of the poor, you know, addressing things like cost of living, reducing poverty, uh, food security? Uh, what do you think about that? I think there were some interesting um, elements there that he had uh, announced. For instance, um, one of the things that we saw, which is, um, you know, the first time that we heard that the burnas in the rice sector, the paddy yeah. sector, yeah. you know, the burnas, as we all know, which controls the um, marketing of rice in the country. What was interesting for me is that the for the first time we heard that 30% of burnas profits will be channeled back to paddy farmers. Mm. This is actually quite a good move. I think this is one of the ways of redistribution. Of the of the profits from Bernas going back to um, our paddy farmers, that that's interesting. The other, of course, is we noticed that there's an allocation, um, a sustainable agriculture agenda mm -hmm. uh, for development of agro food and soil sustainability program, 56 million allocation. This will probably go to the agriculture ministry, but we'd like to see a lot more of sustainable agriculture, which means you reduce the dependence on fertilizers and chemicals which comes from the fossil fuel industry. Now, often we don't associate agriculture with low carbon, but this is the sector that has a lot of emissions coming from um, agriculture. But what's critical, of course, is that sustainable and organic farming and practices, that these, are not, these are not exotic. I mean, there's a lot of experience already in this country which needs to be upscaled mm -hmm. um, in terms of the use of um, you know, uh, protection of our soil. Now, soil sustainability, that's very important. I mean, I, I like that idea of, uh, I mean, his emphasis on soil sustainability program, 
So how healthy is your soil? Yeah. How, uh, you know, so how, how do you actually ensure that you don't rob the soil of its, um, of, of its uh, vibrancy um, in supporting the agriculture by loads of chemicals and fertilizers, which actually destroy the microorganisms. But this way, sustainable um, agriculture, which actually nurtures the soil and brings much more organic material to the soil so that the soil can sustain better yields and, um, and, and also encourages our, and we should be talking about increasing the variety of our seeds, for instance. So um, programs by Sabah Alam Malaysia, uh, Consumers Association of Penang, we have talked a lot about increasing our diversity, seed varieties, protecting our traditional varieties and so on. So I think this is a very important agenda and particularly important for the low-income groups because it's not about imported technology, imported seeds, because what that does is actually increase the dependence on the foreign companies or the big agribusiness. So we need to we need to go in this direction, and that's good. And so that is what we would like to see. Even in the use of fertilizers and subsidies for, for farming and so on, there's also an increased allocation of about um, 1.6 billion, big, big amounts, subsidies for the price of rice, rice fertilizer, genuine rice seeds, and so on. And again, back again to how we do need to look at the current agricultural practices, reform them in terms of um, agriculture, which is sustainable, mm -hmm. so that um, we increase diversity, soil protection, so on and so forth. So I think these are these are good good steps, and there's a lot more we can do. So you can actually, this is actually what we call the green economy, right? Mm. I mean, there's a lot of big buzz around green economy, but we always think about it in big time terms about big companies. And I think what we need to do is the green economy based in the informal sector, which is actually combining, um, you know, poverty eradication, sustainable livelihoods, which environmental protection um, and protection of ecosystems. So you actually build both the, social agenda and you combine it with the environment agenda and you build the economic agenda so these are actually very very um, important first steps for a, a promising green agenda just one more point mina I, I wanted to raise with you um you know while speaking about the green agenda we also saw uh, the government extending a number of tax exemption deadlines to incentivize local electric vehicle or ev uptakes right and this these actually weren't mentioned during the budget tabling but they were sort of listed in budget 2023 touch points which was made available later uh, on the mof's website right so some of it includes two year extension of the excise duty sales tax um, uh, sales tax exemption import tax exemption for components used in locally assembled uh, CKD EVs right up to 2027. Uh, initially, it was 2025, you know. Um, you know, a lot of different sort of um, duty and import excise exemptions for fully imported uh, uh, CBU EVs, um, all of these sorts of things, right? But I mean, what is your take on that, um, you know, for in terms of all these, uh, I guess, allocations for... Um, also TNB to install EV charging facilities, um, you know, setting up public EV charges across the country. Um, you know, but I don't really see a, a lot mentioned about, you know, uh, public transportation. You know, these seem to be more for private ownership. Exactly. I think um, this is one, one um, problem that we saw um, because we also noticed this very heavy emphasis on EV mm. and focus. Now, electric vehicles, and I think the first point that you make is very critical. What are we promoting? Are we promoting 
private vehicles, expensive, especially all these EVs are very expensive. I mean, it's, it's you know, the Tesla and all that. They're not, they're not cheap. And yeah. this whole emphasis on supporting um, private vehicles, um, I think, of course, at the moment, there is a, the switch from fossil dependence to electric dependence. I think what we need to actually interrogate is that where's the electricity coming from in this country? Much of the electricity that is being generated now by TNB, almost 50% of it is coming from coal, Correct. right? So we focus on electricity and electric vehicles, but the source of that electricity is something that is really the biggest generator of carbon emissions mm. in this country, and that's coal. And so we do need to face out coal, and uh, that's where the emphasis ought to be. And so I don't think, I think we need to be careful that the electric vehicle is not the panacea for solving your climate solution, because if your electricity, the source of the generation of the electricity is the root of the problem. So we need to address the root and not just, um, you know, talk of EV as if it's going to solve everybody's problem. And I, of course, I don't think that that's the, that's how it is being portrayed, but I think that we that there's a misconception um, that you know if I particularly among the rich huh, mm. who think that if I use an electric vehicle I'm saving the environment you're not saving the environment because the source of that electricity is still a problem. Now, second point is public transport. We ought to be spending more money um, and and capital investments in public transport, and that's really the problem. So if you're able to put more people in, you know. Um, um, public transport. That means you're moving public people in public transportation rather than, um, you know, in single, uh, you know, luxury cars that we are promoting. And that's the problem. I think this country can do much more in terms of public uh, transport. Um, so that's a very important point to also stress. So I did, and of course, energy efficiency um, and being much more um, efficient in the in the use of our electricity consumption, mm -hmm. um, energy efficient buildings. I mean, this is also st uh, things that the government does stress. And I think this is the area that we need to look at. So let's not be completely obsessed with electric vehicles because what that does is uh, Elon Musk will be the one making a lot of money rather than we actually having a complete climate solutions to the low carbon future, which actually focuses um, the coal face out. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mina, um, for helping us break all of that down. Um, any last message that you'd like to leave us with? Um, yeah, we we basically want to say that you know I think the this new budget it's good that uh, as we began it has the right thrust mm -hmm. and it has some um, potential to do better. Um, but I but as I said, and the stressing of the synergies and the and how the entire economic development pathway being integrated with environment and climate change perspective, focusing on building climate resilience, um, which also would reduce the, uh, what you call it, the vulnerability of the poor. Every time a disaster happens, the biggest victims are the poor. They will not be able to cope. They don't, they can't cope. Whereas, as we have said before, you know, when we discussed um, the loss and damage issue, Juliet, yeah. if you recall, yeah. that, um, you know, it's easy for somebody to, when due to a climate impact, a rich guy to move away from disaster prone areas, but you don't, the poor doesn't, do not have those options. So I think the, 
um, social justice and the um, reducing inequality agenda combined with the sustainability agenda is absolutely vital. And I think these, this, this budget, I hope, would, in, would set us in that pathway in the right direction so that we combine these agendas in a holistic, integrated manner and not go back to silos and not uh, thinking that climate change and environment is only the remit of the Ministry of Natural Resources and uh, you know, while not integrating it into the Ministry of Agriculture, Ministry of Transport, Ministry of Public Works and so on. So I'd like to see that shift much, much more. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mina, as always, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Manakshi Rahman, President of Sahabat Alam Malaysia, helping us to break down the environmental uh, allocations in Budget 2023. If you'd like to find out more about the work that Mina and her team are doing, you can head to their website, which is foe-malaysia.org, or you can follow them on social media. Uh, I think they're pretty much on all the platforms. Uh, you can just search for Sahabat Alam Malaysia and find that. And if you miss any part of today's conversation, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Marseille. Reinvent spaces. Enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.